of all the places that Kevin's mom expected to be on Christmas Eve, <clears throat> in the back of a box truck with a polka band talking to John Candy was not one of those places that she saw in her Christmas future. Um, she probably had uh, ideas for, for, the, for her family for being in Paris, but not that. And while we're at this point in the movie, just pause for just a second to acknowledge the fact that often <clears throat> when we find ourselves in places we didn't expect to be, there almost always seems to be someone who shows up and says all of the wrong things, right? They say what no one should say in that particular moment of your life. When you find yourself in a difficult place, a confusing place, uh, a place you didn't expect to be, there, there will almost always be somebody that shows up and says all of the wrong things. They think they're being helpful. They think they're being compassionate. They think they're being wise or spiritual or whatever else they think they're offering, but what they have to say does not help. And, and if we learn anything from Kevin's mom, let's all learn that when that happens, the right response is, maybe we shouldn't talk about this. Right? And I know you can't always say that, but you can think it. Right? That might help you if you just think, maybe you shouldn't talk to me anymore about anything because those people always seem to find you in those moments. Even though we're watching clips from Home Alone throughout this series, we're calling the series Not Alone because we believe wherever you find yourself today, you are not alone. And whatever circumstances or experiences you may be going through, you are not alone. The story of Christmas is that God has come, Emmanuel, God is with us. And one of the times we tend to feel isolated, we tend to feel disconnected, we tend to feel alone, is when life gives us an unexpected turn. Uh, out of nowhere, <clears throat> we find ourselves in a place that we did not expect to be, we did not want to be, maybe we didn't even choose to be, and we're running through the questions of how did I get here? How did life turn out like this? How did this relationship or our family or my experiences land me here? And along with those questions come questions like, how do I get out of here? How do I solve this? How do I change my circumstances? Life does that. It just has these unexpected twists and turns. <clears throat> like we said at the beginning, often... It's when we're at our loneliest, often when we feel isolated, that strangely, we are least likely to reach out and ask for help. We are least likely to do the thing that might actually help us, which is confide to someone else, to, to reach out to a relationship that we can trust. Sometimes it's because we're so focused on trying to figure out how we got in the situation or... Sometimes it's because we're so focused on trying to figure out how to get out of the situation. Whatever the reasoning is, we, we saw early in this series that uh, it, sometimes when we are the loneliest, we are the least likely to reach out for connection. Sometimes it's because we're embarrassed. We look at our situation and we think, I don't want to tell anybody about this. I don't want anybody to know about this part of me. I don't want anybody to know what I did or what's happened. I will try to fix this. We have 
this idea that if we can figure it out, then we can share it with other people. We like to tell this story. We like to tell the story of, you know, I got in a really bad place, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do, and I wasn't expecting these circumstances, and then I read this book, or I heard this quote, or I felt this feeling, and then I fixed it all, and now I'm better. Like, we like that story. We like the, I'm out of it now. It was bad back then. I'll tell you about it now. But now it's all better, so let me tell you the whole story. We like that story of having fixed it all up. But often, the times that we need to share our story with other people is when we're in the middle of it, and we haven't figured it out yet. And we don't know what we're going to do. And we don't know how it's going to work out. And we haven't put all of the pieces back together. Often what we most need is what we resist doing. And that is just sharing it with somebody. Just connecting with somebody. Most of us have probably had the situation with somebody we care about. Maybe a family member or a friend. Somebody that we love. And they tell us about this thing they were going through at some point in the past. And our reaction is... Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you let me know? I would have been there for you. I would have encouraged you. I would have prayed for you. I may not have been able to solve it, but I would have been there for you. And yet, a lot of us resist opening up when we're in the middle of big stories. One of the things I want to communicate through this series is when you get to those places... For whatever reason, whatever the cause is, reach out to somebody, connect to somebody, overcome that hesitancy to open up to another person and connect. Maybe not a polka band player or John Candy, but somebody, find somebody that you trust that you can open up to. I want to kind of wrap up our series By looking at the way, we we often feel disconnected when life hands us unexpected turns. When when life goes one way and we thought it was going to go the other way. Uh, We're going to dive into Matthew chapter 2 if you want to find that in your Bible's first book of the New Testament. Matthew and Luke give us the details of the Christmas story. Like if you want to read the Christmas story, you're going to read it from Matthew. You're going to read it from Luke and Interestingly, they give us very different details, not contradictory details, just a different perspective on characters and places and what was happening. So we get part of the story from Luke, and we get a different part of the story from Matthew. They were focused on different things. Their perspective was slightly different. Uh, for, For example, Luke tells us about the shepherds, and Matthew doesn't mention the shepherds. Matthew gives us the whole genealogy of his parents and, and Jesus' background. Luke never mentions any of that. Um, Luke tends to emphasize Mary, whereas Matthew tends to focus more on Joseph. Um, we should, and we do, honor and celebrate Mary. What an incredible role Mary had in being the earthly mother of Jesus, God's son. But Matthew also says, hey, don't forget, Joseph played an incredible role. Um, Joseph was selected by God as well. Joseph was given this responsibility. And when you you read the story of of Matthew, it's amazing the courage that he had. 
the, the links that he went to to protect this family that God had entrusted to him. Joseph was, we might say, a stepdad uh, to Jesus. And some of you have similar roles this Christmas. You're part of a blended family. And that, that brings its own uh, challenges. That brings maybe its own tensions. That brings the, its own details that you have to work around and, and work with. And one of the things the Christmas story tells us is that like, you've, been, you've been given this role by God. God has put you in this role. Be the dad, be the mom that God wants you to be. If you're a foster parent, um, God has put you in that role. Whether And maybe it's for a season, maybe it's for longer than that. But while you're in that role, while you're in that relationship, God has given you a unique opportunity to shape and love and care for and be God's representative to a child. If you're adopted, same thing. God has given you a, a specific role in the way that he gave Joseph a specific role. Uh, one, one of the big differences between Matthew's telling of the story and, and Luke's telling of the story is that Matthew gives us the story of the wise men. doesn't appear in Luke, only appears in Matthew. And we're going to drop into that story today. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. I, I mentioned that we get different details from Matthew than we do from Luke, but there are some details we don't get from either one, and, and Matthew 2 is one of those. We discover that after Jesus was born, as Matthew says, after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph stay in Bethlehem for, for one year, two years, up to three years, they remain in Bethlehem. No one tells us why. Matthew just says it happens. Jesus is now one-year-old, maybe a two-year-old, and Mary and Joseph, rather than going back to Nazareth where they were from, they stay in Bethlehem. We learn that they're wise men or magi from the east to study the stars. That's their craft. That's their background. That's their job. They're, they're studying for signs in the heavens. They believed that the heavens gave signs when important events took place, significant events on earth, you would be able to tell that by the alignment of planets and the alignment of stars. Specifically, when a leader or a king was born, they believed planets and stars gave a certain sign that that had just happened. They see this sign in the sky and they make a journey of hundreds of miles to try to find out what all of this means. So the, the wise men are one of many characters in the Christmas story that found themselves somewhere they didn't expect to be, hundreds of miles from their home, traveling a long way, pursuing someone they really didn't know who it was, really didn't understand all about him, but they kept pursuing him. One of the things the wise men teach us, I think, is that when you find yourself in unexpected places, keep looking for Jesus. This is what they did. They're traveling hundreds of miles, and there's one thing they want to know. Where is this king? Where is this king? We want to find this king. When, when you and I find ourselves in unexpected places, one of the best things we can do is just keep looking for Jesus in those places. He's there. 
He has not left you alone in that place. He is present in that place. I know sometimes we get in difficult circumstances, and the question we have is, where's God? Where's God? What is God doing? I don't understand. I don't see God. One of the great lessons from the wise men is just keep looking for Jesus. You may not find him immediately. You may not see him immediately. You may not know exactly what he's doing, but keep looking, keep pursuing, keep asking because he's there. As the wise men were looking for the new king, they went to the one place they thought where they could get direction, and that was where the current king was, which was Jerusalem. So they go to the king's palace, and they say to Herod, we want to know where this new king is. We hear there's a new king in this part of the world. Where is he? This is what we read in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. So whereas the wise men were pursuing Jesus, Herod was disturbed at the news. And there's probably multiple reasons why Herod was disturbed. It probably bothered Herod that the kings had come from the east because the one location that Herod was vulnerable to attack was from the east. If you look at a map of the Roman Empire, you'll see that the Roman Empire stretched out to Herod's west. Everything to Herod's west was part of the Roman Empire. He knew that no one could get to Jerusalem from the west. The direction they would have easy access to his kingdom was coming from the east. So it probably bothered him. These kings have come for the east. Maybe they're, maybe they're scouting out for a future attack. Herod had even built fortresses along the east border because he was so paranoid about an attack from a foreign country coming from the east. So he was disturbed. He was probably also disturbed just from the notion that there was a king that had been born. Herod, you may know, was incredibly paranoid, incredibly cruel because of his paranoia. He wanted to remain king. He wanted to be the only king. He did whatever was necessary to stamp out any thought of an uprising against his ruling. So he was disturbed that there was another king. Specifically, I think he may have been disturbed that a king of the Jews had been born. Because Herod thought of himself as king of the Jews. He ruled that area of the world. He was over Jerusalem. He was over the region of the world where the Jewish people lived. Herod looked at himself and thought, wait a minute, I'm king of the Jews. Herod had even built a new temple for the Jewish people. He was responsible for the current temple being built. And he was responsible for allowing the Jewish people to continue practicing their religion. So Herod looked at the situation and thought, they've never had a better king than me. I'm the best king they've ever had. I am king of the Jews. Here's a problem we see in Herod that can be true of us 2,000 years later. Jesus can't be king of our lives if we think we're king of our lives. See, that's Herod's problem. He doesn't want a king of the Jews because he's king of the Jews. He doesn't want somebody on the throne because he's already on the throne. He doesn't need somebody ruling 
Because he's already ruling. We, we have that same tension sometimes. Jesus can't be king of our lives if we're already king. If, if we already w- want to rule our lives, if we are unlike the wise men, unwilling to submit, the wise men came to worship and, and bow down and bring offerings. Not Herod. Herod was already king. He didn't need another king. And as I said, we, we struggle with that same tension in our lives. Who's going to rule? Who's going to be king? Who's going to be first? Who am I going to submit my will to? Who am I going to submit my life to? Who am I going to obey and worship and kneel before? If it's me, then it can't be Jesus. It's one of the struggles I think we have with unexpected circumstances in our life, problems, tragedies, difficulties. If we're not careful, we can begin to believe that we are exempt from those. Because I'm king. Like my life is supposed to go well. My, my life is supposed to be per- perfect. I'm not supposed to have problems. It's when I can submit to Jesus. It's when I can realize that even when my life is not perfect, Jesus is still on the throne, that I understand Christmas. It's when I can realize that even though I don't understand everything that's happening in my life, I know that there is a king who is ruling and reigning over all things. And his name is Jesus, not me. I don't have to sit on the throne because there's already a king on the throne. Now, the scripture tells us that not only was Herod disturbed by this news, but all Jerusalem was disturbed by this news. And there's debate over what It means that all Jerusalem was disturbed. It's very possible that everyone in Jerusalem knew how Herod reacted when he was disturbed. And so they began to panic about what he might do if he was upset about this new king. That's one explanation. Another explanation is that the phrase all Jerusalem really means the representative leadership of Jerusalem was disturbed. Look at the people that he calls first to ask about it. It's the chief priest and the teachers of the law. It's the religious leaders that Herod turns to first. And some people think they're the ones that were disturbed about this news of a coming king of the Jews. Why would they be disturbed at a king of the Jews? Possibly because they had worked out a neat little relationship with the current king. They had worked out a a nice little give and take between their religion and the the government of Rome. They, they They had found a little bit of power with Herod. They had access to the king, access to power, and they didn't need somebody messing that up. I mean, if you fast forward 31 years from this story, if, you just, if we just jump ahead 31, 32 years later, you know what the chief priests and the teachers of the law are doing? They're coordinating with the Roman government to have Jesus executed. I don't think that started when Jesus was 33. I think the religious leaders had started sacrificing some of their integrity and sacrificing some of their conviction because they had access to power And they didn't want anybody to mess that up. As the old saying goes, when when you mix religion and politics, you get politics. And that's where they were. Notice how quickly they give up the location of this new king. 
Like very, oh, he's in Bethlehem. Like we need to, we need to put this fire out. He's in Bethlehem. Same group of people would be trying to put the fire out all of Jesus' life until they had him executed. Herod calls the Magi to himself and says, um, exactly when did you see the star and this planet thing? As Herod is trying to narrow in on what age child he's looking for, trying to get all the details right. And then finally he says to them, go and worship and then come back and tell me where he is because I want to worship him as well. You know the story, the the wise men find Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. They're no longer in a stable now. They're living in a home, and they they find Mary and Joseph and the baby, and they bow down, and they present him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and worship him. An angel appears to the wise men and says, you need to go home by another way. I don't want you to go back to Herod, and they obey. Verse 13, when they, the wise men, had gone... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Think about Joseph's life just the past two, three years. Joseph is engaged to a woman who then tells him that she's pregnant, it's not his. He gets a visit from an angel to say, this is the Messiah that she is carrying. They end up having to travel to Bethlehem when she's nine months pregnant, give birth in a stable. They stay in Bethlehem, separated from their family. And now an angel shows up and says, I need you to go to Egypt. Like It's just been one thing after another for Joseph. In order to protect his family, in order to honor God, the unexpected twists and turns and circumstances just keep lining up for Joseph. When Herod realizes the wise men aren't coming back, he gives an order. All male infants in Bethlehem, two years old and younger, should be killed. Probably about 20 boys that were sacrificed in that, killed as a part of Herod's rule, but Joseph and Mary are safely in Egypt. Jesus is safely in Egypt, and they lived there for years. Uh, Herod dies in uh, 4 AD. So Mary, Joseph, Jesus, they were in Bethlehem at least four, five, six years that they had established a new life. An angel returns to Joseph after Herod has died and said, you can leave Egypt now. You can come back home, but don't go to Bethlehem. Herod's son was reigning in that region. He was just as crazy as Herod. So they went back to Nazareth. All of these movements, all of these twists and turns, all of these places that Joseph never expected to be, which is what he teaches us through this whole chapter. A couple of thoughts. When you're in the unexpected place, God already knew you'd be there. If you want to learn something from Joseph's life, from from Mary's life, in this episode in Matthew chapter 2, learn that when you're in the unexpected place, God already knew you'd be there. And he's not surprised. He's not going, how did that happen? I didn't know that was going to happen to them. God already knew where you were going to be if this Christmas you find yourself in Circumstances you didn't expect. If relationships aren't what you wanted or expected. If life has come into your Christmas, God already knew you would be there. 
Matthew chapter 2, we get this statement again and again that everything that happened in Matthew 2 was to fulfill what God had already said. Let me give you the examples. This is Matthew chapter 2, verse 5. Herod asked where the Messiah was to be born and is told, In Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they go on to quote from Micah. God already knew. God already said this was going to happen. Verse 15, And so was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Joseph didn't expect to go to Egypt. Mary didn't expect to go to Egypt. God already knew they were going to be there. Verse 17, that, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Verse 23, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. All throughout this really short chapter, we have these phrases that remind us God already knew this was going to happen. God already knew you were going to be there. God already knew those set of circumstances. God already knew there was going to be a crazy king on the throne. God already knew you were going to have to run down to Egypt. God already knew. 2,000 years later, in your life and in my life, he, kn- he already knows. He knows where you are now. He knows where you're going to be next year. He knows where you're going to be next Christmas. He has not left you alone because he already knew where you were going to be. When it seems like life, when it seems like kingdoms are moving against you, God already knows. And for Joseph, as he's protecting his family, it's Joseph against the Roman Empire. The odds are not in Joseph's favor. And even with an entire kingdom searching for Jesus, trying to harm his family, God already knew what was going to happen. Another thought. When you're in the unexpected place, God is providing for you there. He not only knows that you're there, he's providing for you there. We read the story of the wise men, and and they bring gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And there's perhaps some symbolism to those gifts. But there were practical reasons that God led the wise men to bring those gifts. Because, as we just read, after the wise men left, God said to Joseph, you got to move your family to Egypt. And it wasn't for like a two-week vacation. They weren't going for a month in Egypt to to have a nice long vacation together. They were there for four, five, six years. They had to establish their whole life in a completely foreign place to them. And God had provided resources, gold and frankincense and myrrh, to move them to that place, to establish them in that place, to provide for them. In that place, this is what God does when we're in the unexpected place. God is already providing. And we may not see it immediately. We may not identify it immediately. But when life takes a strange turn for us, God's already providing His grace. He's providing His strength. He's providing His presence. He's providing His protection. He is with us. When you're in the unexpected place, God is providing. Third, when you're in the unexpected place, God may be protecting you. That may be why God took you there. For Mary and Joseph and Jesus, the whole reason they had to move to Egypt was for God's protection. He knew a threat was coming. He knew the king was coming for him. And so God says, I know you didn't plan this. I know you didn't expect this. I need you to go here so I can protect you. Sometimes The strange twists and turns of life are for our protection. 
We've experienced that. Some of us have experienced that looking back. We've had things happen in our life and we didn't understand them and, and we couldn't explain them and doors closed or something we wanted didn't happen or something we were dreaming about didn't come true. And then four or five years, six years later, we look back at that time in our life and we go, God was protecting me the whole time when he closed that door. God was protecting me when he caused me to make that right turn. God was protecting me when he said no. Very often, the unexpected places in our life is God protecting us. Last thing. When you're in the unexpected place, Remember that God doesn't lead us into any place that He can't lead us out of. God doesn't lead us into a place that He's not only going to be with us, He's not only going to provide for us, He's not only protecting us, but He's able to lead us out of that place too. When the time was right, an angel appeared to Joseph and said, we can leave now, we can go now, we can return now, we're, we're going to leave Egypt now. And there's an amazing symmetry, if you think about it, to the previous journey to Egypt by God's people and this journey to Egypt by Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. That is Jesus, thousands of years before, God moved Joseph to Egypt so that he could then bring Jacob and all of their family to Egypt. Why? To protect them. There was a famine. They were going to die. They did not have the resources to live through the famine that was happening and certainly not through the famine that was coming. And so God moved his people to Egypt to protect them. He provided for them while they were in Egypt. If you remember the story, the king of that region, that Pharaoh, began to, began to fear for his throne, began to fear for his power, and he decided that all male infants are going to be killed. Just like we read in Matthew chapter 2, and then at just the right time, God raises up a leader and leads his people out of Egypt. There's this interesting symmetry of God's salvation, of God's leading his people to unexpected places, God being with his people, making himself known in unexpected places, and then God bringing his people out of those places. Wherever you find yourself Today, I can, I can tell you God is able to bring you through. God is able to bring you out. Because God has been bringing His people into, through, and out of unexpected places for a really long time. A really long time. God has led people into areas where He was protecting them. He has been with them through struggles and trials. And He has brought them out when the time was right. This, the same is true for you. It's the same God that we serve. You see, in the first trip to Egypt, God was bringing His people out for their salvation. In the second trip to Egypt, in Matthew chapter 2, God was bringing salvation itself in Jesus out of Egypt. You and I are not alone when we face the unexpected places of this world. And, and, and if you wake up tomorrow, if you wake up next week, if you wake up next year and find yourself in an unexpected place, I can tell you God already knew that. He was already preparing you. He's protecting you. He's providing for you. And at the right time, He's going to bring you through and He's going to bring you out. 
our role, our, our job is to submit to Him and let Him be King. To not fight against the rule of God in our lives. To not insist that we are the King, but to realize no matter what's happening in our lives, Jesus is ruling and reigning. Right? Greater is He that's in us than he that's in the world. He is at work. He is accomplishing his purpose. So let him be the king that he came to be. Let him rule in the way that he came to rule in your life, in your day. And what we may find is that in the unexpected place, that is where we will find Jesus. That is where he will be more real to us than he has ever been before. God, we pray that you would help us accept, understand, be grateful for even the unexpected places of our lives, the twists and turns, the uncertainties. Our lives are full of them. Both in general, we all share some uncertainties about life right now. And specifically, we all have areas that we question, that we wonder. God, we are not alone in those places. You are with us. You are protecting us. You are providing for us. You are bringing us through those places. Help us to trust you as King and Lord of our lives. Help us to not try to be king of our life, but rather to submit, to worship, to kneel, to follow, so that you would be glorified in us. You would be seen as king and Lord of our lives. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.